I think for most parents, their greatest concern is the safety and well-being of their children. And for Christian parents, there's another dimension to that. We want to know that our children are eternally secure. Uh, We want to know that they're going to be with Jesus forever. Uh, My most persistent and heartfelt prayer is that my children will follow Jesus their whole lives. I want to know uh, that they're putting down deep roots in Jesus's eternal kingdom. And I would hope that all of us feel the same way, not just about our own children, but about the children in our lives and in our church and in our community. You know, some people come to church and they stay, and hopefully they grow in the Christian life. If they don't, then maybe we're doing something wrong, but I think they do. I think we're all growing together. Uh, But there are others who come to church for a time, and then they fall away. Now, sometimes that's because they go to another church, and so they haven't really fallen away. They're still connected to the body. They're still part of the church. Uh, But some people fall away altogether, and that is a tragedy. And when I see that, the feeling I have can only be described as grief. And even more so when I know they have children, because I think, well, in this secular culture of ours, how are those children going to maintain their faith? How are they going to grow in their faith if they've been isolated from the church? Uh, So I want to encourage those of you who are parents, you've brought your children uh, to church, to the church, to this church, you brought your children to Jesus. Uh, and I encourage you to keep bringing them. Keep bringing them. And that's what these parents are doing in today's passage. In a very literal way, they're bringing their children to Jesus. Jesus had just been teaching about the kingdom of God. And this group of parents want to ensure that their children would be included. And uh, what we often miss when we read this passage is that those parents were doing something outrageous. In first century Jewish culture, women and children were treated like second-class citizens. And if a rabbi was sat teaching, there is no way anyone would interrupt them. And there's certainly no way that anyone would uh, interrupt a rabbi by bringing them their children or their babies. Uh, it just wouldn't happen. And the, the, the word Luke uses indicates that these are very tiny children or, or babies. In fact, the translation we're using uh, uses that exact word. And you can picture it, can't you? Uh, there's a crowd of people listening to Jesus intently. And then all of a sudden, there's a bit of a commotion as these parents are kind of pushing their way through the crowd, carrying their babies. And I'm sure some of the babies were awake and making the kind of noises that babies make. It must have been quite disruptive. And when the disciples see this happening, they rebuke the people. They want to shoo them away, quiet them down, put them back in their place. It's, it's a bit like, I don't know whether you've ever been to a church like this where someone brings a baby. And the baby's making a little bit of noise, as babies do. And a whole load of people turn around to look at the person with the baby. Who's making that noise? Who's disturbing our peace? Why can't they do something about that noisy baby? You can see it written on their faces. I'm so glad that that doesn't happen here. Babies and children don't sit as quietly as adults do. But they're a sign of life. They're a blessing to us. And as we're about to see, they're also an example to us. Jesus calls the tiny children to him, saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It is these children, these babies, who uh, most truly show us what it means to accept and enter God's kingdom. What an extraordinary thing to say. If we want to enter God's kingdom, we must become like babies. Well, how so? Well, babies are completely dependent on their mothers. They must trust their mothers, their fathers as well, but particularly their mothers to provide everything, food, warmth, protection, love, everything they need to survive and grow and become. A baby even learns to smile by looking up into the face of her mother. It's a beautiful picture. They're not thinking, I can't wait to move out and get my own space. And it reminds me of a meme that's done the rounds on social media. You've probably seen it. Uh, It says this, teenagers, tired of being harassed by your parents? Act now. Move out and get a job and pay your own way while you still know everything. Now, that's a bit unfair, and it doesn't apply to our teenagers here. Uh, But what it does is emphasizes that we spend so much of our life striving for independence. But babies have no thought of it. They are completely dependent. And that is how we should be with God. In our culture, we've convinced ourselves that independence is a virtue, but it's not. Uh, We have been created for lives of dependency. Dependence on God and interdependence. On one another. Of course, dependence doesn't mean being irresponsible. If as a 42-year-old man I still live at home with my parents and uh, spend all day playing video games and make no attempt to find work while my mother uh, rushes around and does all the cooking and cleaning and washing and ironing, that's dependence, uh, but it's also irresponsible and lazy. But there's a much more healthy form of dependence, and that's the way in which we are dependent on God. We take responsibility for our lives and our actions, but at the same time, we recognize that we have been made to have a relationship with God. We cannot be complete without that relationship. God sustains all of life, including our own. To turn away from God is to turn away from life in the truest sense of the word. So Jesus makes this shocking claim that to inherit the kingdom of God, we must be like little children or babies. And you can imagine the scene. The commotion has settled down. Jesus is once again teaching. He's surrounded by these very tiny children. He may even still be laying his hands on them and blessing them. And then Luke draws our attention to a certain ruler. Now, being a ruler, he had high standing in the community. He would have had the best seat at the front listening to Jesus. And here's his question. He asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's striking that he should ask this because it's the very question that Jesus has literally just answered. To inherit eternal life, we must follow the examples of these tiny children by being completely dependent on God. And the wealthy ruler would have heard Jesus say that, but as far as he's concerned, it's not the right answer for him. 
We do that sometimes, don't we? We, we ask a question, but before we ask it, we've already decided what the answer ought to be. I, I've got to admit, I do this quite a lot, and Tissa quite rightly picks me up for it. Uh, so we'll be driving along, and I'll say, who wants to stop here and look at the view? A couple of little voices from the back, not me. Tissa will say, no, not really. And then I'll pull in anyway. And Tissa will say, well, if you're going to do it anyway, don't ask us, just pull over. Uh, we ask questions, but in our minds, there's only one answer that we're prepared to accept. And this certain ruler asked the question because he couldn't accept that what Jesus had just said applied to him. And part of the problem is that he's almost the complete opposite of a baby. He's rich. A baby doesn't even know what wealth is. He's influential. A baby has no influence whatsoever. He's powerful. A baby is powerless. He's self-reliant. A baby is dependent. Uh, a, a baby depends on uh, her mother. And this rich ruler depended on his wealth and his riches. He's proud. A baby occupies the lowest uh, and the lowliest uh, position in society, particularly first century society. And so the ruler asked, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? His question reveals that he's reluctant to depend on God for anything. A better question would be, what has God done? What has God done that I might inherit eternal life? But Jesus humors him. He lists some of the Ten Commandments. You can imagine the wealthy ruler thinking, ah, this is more like it, and ticking them off in his mind. Don't commit adultery, tick. Don't murder anyone, tick. Don't steal anything, tick, and so on. And at the end of it, he replies, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And we can kind of see how this this proud, wealthy ruler is thinking. He's thinking, I'm going to get in based on the good way that I've lived my life. And I think a lot of people uh, think about eternal life in those terms. Well, I'm a good person. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't stolen anything except the odd bit of stationery from work, and that doesn't count. And if there is such a place as heaven, uh, I'll get in. But that kind of thinking requires the utmost self-deception. Jesus said to the ruler, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And we can see why that's the case when we consider Jesus' strict interpretation of the law. According to Jesus, if we get angry with someone, it's like we've murdered them in our hearts. If we look lustfully at someone, it's like we've committed adultery in our hearts. None of us can claim to have perfectly kept God's laws. And what's more, the rich ruler has broken the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, because money and wealth and comfort had become his God. And Jesus sees this, and he says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And this is where we see that the wealthy ruler cannot bring himself to part with his wealth and his power and his prestigious position. He cannot bring himself to become like a little child. Uh, He's put his trust in his wealth, and he cannot let it go. He's become so self-reliant that he cannot conceivably rely solely on Jesus. He just can't bring himself to do it. And Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this is where we ought to prick up our ears, because in world terms, we are rich. Do you know that Australians have more wealth per adult than any other nation in the world? Uh, A recent report by the investment bank Credit Suisse reveals that Australians have just overtaken the Swiss to become the wealthiest people in the world. Of course, there are countries that have bigger economies than ours, but nobody has more personal wealth than Australians do. So when Jesus says that it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, we here in Australia should be listening really carefully to this. But why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Well, often, not always, but often, there's a direct correlation between material wealth and spiritual poverty. The wealthier we become, the more self-reliant we become, we begin to feel like we don't need God. It's as if we get lured into a false sense of security. And there are so many distractions, aren't there? There's shopping and sports and hobbies and all the things that we like to spend our money on. And we've got bikes and jet bikes and trailers and camping gear and fishing gear and surfboards and boats. And of course, we've got to maintain these big properties and gardens and vehicles and all this stuff. It's a wonder that anyone can make any time for God at all. And all of this wealth and comfort and all of these distractions, they gradually lure us away from God. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis playfully documents a series of letters from a senior demon, Screwtape, to his young nephew and apprentice, Wormwood. It's a very comical book, but it's got a serious point. And Screwtape is always giving Wormwood advice about how to lure the human beings away from the enemy, away from God. At one point, Screwtape writes this, but do remember... The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God because wealth does exactly that. If we're not careful, it edges us out of the light and out into the nothing. With wealth comes the possibility that our lives can be so full of other things that there's simply no room for God. But most destructive of all, wealth makes us self-reliant. We think we don't need God for our daily needs. And worse still, we think we don't need God for our salvation. When we're wealthy, it's very easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that our lives are in order. Wealth is very affirming. Wealth is very affirming. Yes, we think. I lead a nice, civilized, comfortable life. I don't do anyone any harm, I raise my children well, I pay my taxes, my home and garden look presentable. What do I need God for? Our affluence and our comfort, 
uh, lead to self-reliance and self-deceit. We see these characteristics in the rich ruler, and we see them in general terms across the whole of the Western world. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So does this mean that the rich cannot enter the kingdom of God? Well, no. Jesus didn't say it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He only said that it's hard. Uh, And although it is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Jesus also added, uh, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's all a question of dependency. Are we dependent on God? Are we dependent on our relationship with Jesus? Or is it something uh, that we just tack on to our wealthy, materialistic consumer lives? Whether we are in want or whether we have plenty, are we willing to lay aside the things of this world and put Jesus in first place? The rich young ruler couldn't do that. His wealth gave him a puffed-up sense of his own self-saving ability. Money, wealth, power had become his God. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with being wealthy. Uh, In a spiritual sense, there are significant pitfalls, as we've seen. Uh, But there's no indication anywhere in the Bible that being wealthy is in itself sinful. The problem occurs when we put wealth and comfort in the place of God, or when that wealth leads to the kind of self-reliance that says, I don't need God. And that's not necessarily something that people articulate as a conscious thought, but it can be seen in the way that people live their lives. I don't need God. The ruler's question was about eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, actually, his bank balance and our bank balance have absolutely no bearing on that question. Nor is it a matter of what we do, because we can never do enough and we can never be good enough to inherit eternal life. The response that Jesus wants from us is an attitude of total dependence on him. Entering the kingdom of God, eternal life, is a matter of putting our trust in Jesus. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus to the extent that we can loose our grip on everything else that this world has to offer, well, that's when we really start to come alive. And Jesus may ask us to give up everything in a very literal sense. But if we have an attitude of total dependence on him, he probably won't ask us to literally give up everything. But he will teach us how to love He will teach us how to be generous with our time and our money and our gifts. He will teach us how to use our wealth wisely and well. And he will give us a burning desire, a deep passion to build his kingdom, to build his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, account that we have of the rich ruler who just couldn't let go of his wealth. And we recognize, uh, as people who are, in world terms, comparatively very wealthy, uh, we recognize that wealth and comfort can 
uh, lure people away from God. And we pray today uh, that we don't allow that to happen to us. We pray that we'll remain focused on your son, Jesus, that we'll prioritize things in the right way, in a godly way, in the way that you would want us to. We pray, Father, that we'll put you first in all things and that we'll put our complete trust in you. Like like babies, we'll be completely dependent on you. Help us with this, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to live in the way that you have called us to live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.